Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. All right, let's turn our Bibles into the book of Acts, uh, the last uh, number of verses in chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And I want to read from verses 15 through to 26. Acts chapter 1, verses 15 to 26. And uh, we'll finish on this chapter tonight without exhausting it. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, uh, the number of names together were about 120, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue that is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, until that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed to Joseph, who was served to Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. I want to ask you a couple of questions as we start here tonight. Now, in the uh, chapter 1 here, we've seen the commandment of the Lord Jesus, the 40 days, the 3 days and 40 nights, the events of that, and then his ascension to heaven, and the disciples in the upper room. And now the Holy Spirit has given 11 verses from verses 15 through to 26. The Holy Spirit has given 11 verses to the replacing of Judas, the fallen apostle. So uh, if there was only one or two verses, you might say, well, there's not too much in it. But the Holy Spirit has devoted 11 verses to uh, the replacing of fallen ones from the 12 apostles. So I want to ask a couple of questions tonight as we, we begin our word here. How many believe, and re, pardon me, reading the scriptures here in verse 16, fulfill which the Holy Spirit's by the... Uh, uh, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, I think it is, he quotes uh, two Psalms. So just a surface reading of that, how many believe that uh, Judas... Uh, was predestined to sell Jesus Christ out, that someone had to sell him out, out and the scriptures had to be fulfilled. How many believe that? How many don't believe it? How many are frightened of getting caught? How many haven't got a hand? How many don't know what they believe? 
Some of you haven't moved one hand and I'll ask you questions. Uh, how many do believe that, that Judas was predestined to sell Christ out? Hands up. Okay, how many don't believe that? Hands up. All right, how many don't know what to believe? Hands up. And how many are frightened of getting caught? Hands up. Now all this section, you didn't put your hands up. You did? Oh, I didn't. I see that hand. Is there another? Okay. All right, so these are very delicate questions and uh, depending on your doctrinal background, those who believe in ES, how many know what ES? Eternal security. Or once in grace, always in grace, even if you live in disgrace. Uh, they say, well, Judas was never saved and Judas was predestined to sell Christ out because the scripture said, and someone's got to fulfill the scriptures. Well, we're going to touch on some very delicate areas tonight. Uh, and uh, we hope that uh, you all end up believing what I believe. <laughs> and as I tell you from uh, time to time, it's not my fault if I'm right, is it? I can't help it, you know, so you just have to pardon me. All right, now, what I want to do is this, get our good old chalkboard out here, and our little famous line. Now, in the Old Testament, what we're going to put here we're going to put over here eternity. From eternity to eternity, God knows everything. And we all believe that God knows everything. And uh, that's foreknowledge. But the issue is now, does God predestine everything? How many know that God knows everything? Every hand should be up on this one. They're being caught there. But uh, how many believe God predestines everything? Now, were you predestined to have tea or coffee tonight? <laughs> or a glass of milk? Were you predestined to buy a motor car with a flat tire? Eh? Or did God know it? Did God know it? Did he predestine it? Have we got a free will? Did Judas have a free will? Or was he predestined? Okay, these are things we're looking at. Now, in the scripture we have in the Old Testament here, okay, OT, we have four prophecies concerning Judas that I just want to put down on the board here, four prophecies concerning Judas. And I'm just going to say them for the moment and we'll pick them up in due time. So first of all, we have Psalm 41. So Psalm 41 and verse 9. I'll only put the reference down and we'll come back to it later. But briefly it says that he was, if it was an enemy that did this, I would have accepted it or I would have, you know, been able to handle it. But it was a, a friend, one who'd lift, uh, he eaten bread at my table. He lifted up his hand, uh, heel against me. And it says in John that the scripture may, might be fulfilled. All right, so we have that. Then the second reference, and I'm putting it in this order, as you'll see, Zechariah chapter uh, 11, Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 through to 13. And there it says that he was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and the silver was cast down in the house of the Lord, and then bought, the, the potter's fear was bought with it. And that this, uh, the New Testament says, then was fulfilled. Uh, and quotes the prophecy of Zechariah. All right, number three, the third scripture we have concerning Judas in the Old Testament is Psalm 69, Psalm 69, and verses 25 to 28, uh, which is quoted in Acts 1 here, uh, let his habitation be desolate, and as it says there, that the scripture must needs have been fulfilled. Let his habitation be desolate, and that was from David. So this psalm is by David, this prophecy is by Zechariah, this psalm is by David. And then the fourth reference we have to Judas in the Old Testament is Psalm 109, Psalm 109 and verse 8. And this also is quoted in uh, Acts chapter 1. Let his bishopric or his officer, his charge, 
uh, let his uh, bishopric uh, another take. And this was all to fulfill the scripture. So we have four Old Testament scriptures here. Uh, David, uh, Zechariah, David, and again David here prophesying. Okay, so now just the surface reading that so well the Old Testament prophesied, it's in the scripture. So someone's got to fulfill the scripture and so God picked on Judas. All right, now we come to the New Testament and what I want to do is uh, just briefly sort of have a little run through on the life of Judas as a sort of character study and see if we can uh, pick up uh, some very significant things here and as well as be challenged and uh, everything like that. All right, the first thing I want you to pick, uh, put here just sort of an out- on an outline form is Judas, along with the other apostles, was chosen after a night of prayer. Okay, so he was chosen after a night of prayer. Let's look at a couple of references and... Uh, Uh, I'll give you some others even though we may not uh, have time to look at them all. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 6. So before Jesus, after Jesus began his ministry and was ministering for a while and then he uh, said to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the field, he goes up up into a mountain and after an all-nighter prayer he chooses the twelve apostles. So Luke chapter 6. Now I've used the illustration of the jigsaw puzzle before so let's lay out the puzzle parts first and then bring them together. Alright Luke chapter 6 and verse 12 And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. So Jesus in a mountain and an all night prayer meeting a prayer to God. None of us know in fact we don't have virtually any of the prayers of Jesus recorded as far as words are concerned except John 17 and that uh, prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. So all night in prayer he continued God. Now verse 13 and when it was day he called unto him his disciples so he called his disciples unto him and out of them and of them he chose twelve whom he also he or whom also he named apostles. Then we have the list, Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Simon called Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the uh, traitor. It's interesting that in the names, every time the names of the twelve apostles are listed, uh, generally starts off with Peter, and Judas is always mentioned last as the traitor. Why don't you also have a look quickly at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And uh, verses 13 onwards confirm the same thing. Mark chapter 3 and verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power, to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And then we have the same list again. Simon, he surnamed Peter. And then in verse 19, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went in a house. And we have the list of the names. All right, so the major thing I want you to pick up there, Jesus chose the 12 apostles uh, after a night of prayer, and he called the 12 of them apostles. We don't have 11 apostles and one devil. We have 12 apostles, 12 sent ones. Okay, that's the first thing we want to pick up. Now, number two, I want you to look at the commission of the twelve apostles when he sends them forth the commissioning their call and commission and we want to go over to Matthew chapter 10 Matthew chapter 10 Matthew chapter 10 
And for your own notes, if you're taking down scriptures, you can put down the whole chapter, but we'll just touch on some of the high spots. Matthew chapter 10. And uh, in verse 1 we've got, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave unto them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Uh, and now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First is Simon, and then through to verse 4, Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So now, we've had the night of prayer according to Mark and Luke. Now he calls the twelve out of all the disciples he has. He chooses twelve, and then undoubtedly in the night uh, of prayer to God, to his father, the father gave him these twelve names of those who were to be twelve apostles, who were to uh, be the, uh, the foundation of the church, and yet sort of be the closing twelve of the Old Testament and the opening twelve of the New Testament. So uh, it's, uh, it's after a night of prayer and I'm sure that the Father gave him because he said, I do nothing but what the Father showed me. So I believe the Father showed him uh, these names of these uh, twelve apostles he was to choose out of all the disciples he had. Uh, some of you may have heard of Brother Offler. Before he passed away, he told me uh, of uh, a revelation that the Lord came to him when uh, when he had cancer of the jaw and the Lord showed him that before Jesus came again the second time, this is just a diversion, there would be another last day twelve apostles and the Lord showed him the names of those last day twelve and he said he read them in the vision but when he came out of the vision he couldn't remember any of the names. So just a significant thing, put in your seed bag because there's more than that that meets the ear as you'll see. We hope. Okay, so we've got the twelve now. These twelve in verse five, so contrary to those who uh, follow eternal security and once in grace always live in this grace and so forth everything like that uh, and say well Judas was never saved he was never a sheep and he was predestined to do all this okay verse, verse 5 these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying go not into the way of the Gentiles the city of the Samaritans enter not but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel so the twelve apostles all of them they're all listed there can't say well eleven apostles and then uh, just one devil with them Judas was the devil and he told them as you go I want you to preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand I want you to heal the sick cleanse the lepers raise the dead cast out devils freely receive uh, freely give and now it's very difficult if Judas was an, uh, a devil from the beginning as this other teaching says would Jesus give a devil power to cast out devils and would he give a devil power to heal the sick uh, when sickness and diseases of the devil so uh, would the devil cast out devils would the devil heal the sick would the devil preach the gospel if Judas was a devil from the beginning and that's the other teaching that I'm dealing with some of you may be familiar with it some of you may not Okay, so as he goes through, he tells them to, to trust the Lord, don't worry about gold, silver, brass in their purse, script, coats, shoes, and everything like that. And whatever city they enter into, they're to find who's worthy and to stay there until they finish the gospel and let their peace be upon it. And then in verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep. Twelve of them, he's talking to the twelve. He didn't say, well, eleven of you are sheep and one of you is a goat. Eleven of you sheep and one of you a devil. No, he's talking to the twelve. So I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye wise, therefore, as serpents and harmless as doves. And as he goes on warning them, beware of men, they'll deliver you up to the councils, they will scourge you in the synagogues, you'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake and for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But now listen to what he says in verse 19 and 20. He's talking to the twelve now. 
apostles, uh, Judas is called an apostle. When they shall deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak, for it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. All right, so he's talking to the twelve. So Judas is, is part of the twelve here, representing the twelve tribes of Israel. He's given power over the unclean spirits, the works of the devils, uh, heals sickness and disease. He's called a, a sent one, an apostle. He's a Judas of the tribe of Judah. He preaches the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, he's referred to as a sheep, as the twelve of the Ma. Uh, and, and the Holy Spirit would speak through them, Spirit of their Father. Then it's notice, uh, interesting to note verse 22, talking to the twelve. And you shall be hated of all men for my namesake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Doesn't sound like eternal security there. Conditional security. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Then as he goes on in verses 23 through to 28, he tells them not to fear, verse 26, fear them not, uh, fear not them, in verse 28, that can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but fear him, that is God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna, Greek word for hell there, not uh, she uh, Sheol or Hades, but Gehenna. And uh, in verse 31, fear not, so verse 26, 28 and 31, he says, fear not, fear not, fear not. And how many know that when he says fear not, there's something to fear? All right, now in verse uh, 32, still speaking to the twelve, Whosoever sh therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And uh, the principle that I often use, God will be to us what we are to him. If we uh, uh, confess him, he'll confess us. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we draw nigh to him, what will he do? He'll draw nigh to us. If we forgive others their trespasses, he will forgive us. But if we forgive not, he will not forgive us. See, it's a whole principle of God that's not often taught. But he will be to us what we are to him. That's a whole biblical principle there. All right, so you deny me or you confess me. And then uh, in verses 34 through to 37, talks about uh, the reward, that uh, there's uh, going to be warfare, conflict between father, daughter, mother, and mother-in-law and foes of his own household. And in verse 38 says, He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. All right, so we've got his call and commission there and all those details. So Judas, along with the eleven, is uh, uh, called to heal the sick, preach the gospel of the kingdom, cast out devils, and uh, everything like that. The Holy Spirit would speak through him. We can't just uh, single out eleven, they're not Judas. Now, go down to chapter 11 and verse 1 of Matthew, chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach, in their cities. Alright, now, we find in other Gospels here that Jesus sent them out two by two. Sent them out two by two. Uh, just trying to remember the scripture. Anyway, I think most of you are familiar with that. Sent them out two by two. Now, how would you feel if uh, as they're paired off in twos, six lots of twos, uh, you're with Judas? Say, oh, Judas, you're a devil. I, I love to work with the devil, you know. I'm an apostle, but you're a devil, and you're predestined to sell Christ out, but I'm not. You know, would you like to have worked with him? 
if that was the case. Now let's go over to John chapter 6. And here we have, and if you're taking down this outline, John chapter 6, we have a prophetic warning, okay? A prophetic warning. So number three here, a prophetic warning in John chapter 6. All right, a prophetic warning, John chapter 6. And we'll pick up in verses 60 through to uh, the last few verses there. So we remember the chapter here, Jesus is talking about himself being the bread of life. And uh, he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And so in verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said, did this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It's the spirit that quickens, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. Now he's talking to disciples. So they murmured at the saying, eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Some of you that believe not. Now listen to verse 64. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they, plural, were that believe not and who, singular, should betray him. I want you to pick that up. In fact, the Amplified puts it this way, who they, plural, were that believe him not, and who singular should, or literally the word should there is, who was about to betray him. And remember at this time, we're starting to get near the close of uh, Jesus' three and a half years ministry here. Where are we? Three and a half. Okay. Close of his ministry. We're getting to the close of his three and a half years ministry. So he knew who would, who would believe, and, uh, and yet he knew... Uh, as it says in the plural, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they, plural, were that, that believed not and who, singular, should betray him. Then in verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you all go, also go away? And dear old Peter, love him, bless him. Then Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, we don't know what it's all about, all the theology of it, but to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and assure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now verse 70, the warning. Jesus answered, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? All right. Now let's go on to John chapter 12 now. John chapter 12. So now that scripture is often taken and so, say, well, Judas was the devil from the beginning. Jesus deliberately chose a devil to betray him. Okay. All right, now John chapter 12. The next uh, part of the character study we have here on Judas. Put down for your notes verses 1 through to 8. And under here for your notes, I've put this here. Reaction against the anointing. So reaction against the anointing. I won't put it all on the board there, but reaction against the anointing. In John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, uh, six days before the Passover, uh, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus which, uh, was, which had been dead, and whom he had raised from the dead. And so Martha and Lazarus, they're all sitting at the table with him. So Mary comes in and takes this ointment of spike, uh, spike very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair because women's hair was a bit longer in those days than today and everybody said hallelujah and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment 
And one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, which, was, which should betray him, and that should is which was about to betray him. Why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Oh, he's really joined the charitable institution here, hasn't he? But this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Oh, so there's a weakness for money here. And he had the bag and bear what was in it. He was the secretary treasurer and had a weakness for money here. And so Jesus said, you've got the poor always with you. You don't have me always with you. And so here in this scene we see Judas under the guise of charity for the poor reacting against the anointing of Jesus' head. Yet he's an apostle, false concern for the poor, but reacts against Mary. Now, John chapter 13, a most important chapter, this. John chapter 13, so number 5, and uh, what you can put here, if you're taking note, is the table of betrayal. Okay, the table of betrayal. The table of betrayal. Now, as you read John 13, and all the Gospels confirm this, and uh, I have to try and be kind here, but those who uh, reject what I'm teaching here in this session say, well, Judas was predestined and Judas never had the table. But all the four Gospels clearly show that the twelve were at the table and the twelve had communion. The twelve had the body and blood of Jesus as he took the bread. So as you glance over John 13, the high spots now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, not go down to Sheol or Hades preaching to anybody, but going back to the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loved eleven of them, but he hated Judas. No, he loved those. And supper being ended, now you start to pick up the key, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot's uh, Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. So the devil has now put the thought into the heart. Now if Judas was a devil from the beginning, how can the devil enter the devil and put a thought into the heart of the devil? And how can the devil cast out devils, heal sickness and disease which is of the devil, and preach the gospel of the kingdom, be called an apostle and everything like that if he's a devil from the beginning and predestined to sell Christ out? The devil now puts it into the heart sell Christ out. So now in verses 4 onwards there, paraphrasing, Jesus rises from supper, laid aside his garments, all prophetic of when he laid aside his heavenly glory, took the towel, girded himself, began to wash the disciples' feet and comes to dear old Peter. Peter said, Lord, you wash my feet? Because other gospels show they'd been arguing on the way in who should be the greatest and nobody was going to do the servant's job of washing feet. And he said, what I do you know not now, but you will know hereafter. You don't understand what I'm doing now, Peter, but you will come to understand. He said, you'll never wash my feet, good old Peter. He said, if I wash you not, you have no part with me. Simon Peter went to the other side. He said, oh Lord, not only my feet, my, but my hands, my head, just give me a whole bath. And I baptize me. And Jesus said, he that is washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Now where had Judas, when you correspond to the Gospels, where had Judas been? Where had his feet been? His feet had been running to mischief and he'd been out to the chief priest to get the price of betrayal. So, verse 11, For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, and not all clean. Now, so as we go through this chapter, this is what we find, that they're all at the communion table, 
and now the devil has put it into the heart of Judas to betray Christ. Jesus said, you're not all clean. Someone's got dirty feet because he'd been up to the, up to the priest. And then uh, Jesus had eaten the, the bread because in verse 18, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. So he's quoting from Psalm 41, verse 9. So you might like to put down the corresponding John 13, verse 18. Corresponding here. So John 13 and verse 18, quoting from that psalm. All right, then you go on to Matthew chapter 26. We find Matthew chapter 26. I'll fill it up. That, that is full, isn't it? How many say that's full? All right, and then I could take this cup and then I could, full, <laughs> I could fill that up. Now both of them are full, but there's a greater fullness in this than this. So everybody can be filled with the Spirit according to their measure, okay? So I'm talking about being filled with the Spirit. That's good holy water, that. All right, number three, uh, they were to be full of faith, uh, uh, wisdom, pardon me, number three, wisdom, and foolishness is a terrible thing in a church to have unwise decisions or foolish decisions, especially in the area of responsibility here, and uh, also number four, they were to be full of faith, as you notice in verse uh, uh, five, a man full of faith, and so forth, faith and faithfulness quality there. So you'll notice none of these uh, seven men were looking for, uh, for position uh, but they were chosen by the people at the command of the apostles. And uh, it's interesting, you can just put this down in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through, to, 1 through to 13 1 Timothy 3, 1 through to 13 that years later and uh, I personally believe that with the development of the church and the progressive revelation that came, uh, why don't you And these are three uh, groupings, uh, spiritual qualifications, character qualifications, domestic qualifications. How many believe a deacon ought to be born again? How many know that there are churches today, quote unquote, that have deacons and elders who've never been born again? See? Well, we don't want that here. How many believe that a, a, a deacon ought to be water baptized? I think that's right. So look you out from among you. So I'm sure that as they're looking through all the multitude and say, Wow, is that guy even born again? Well, oh no, no. Is he even water baptized? No, he doesn't believe in water baptized. Is he spirit filled? So they must have known the men that they were going to choose. They must have known them, that they qualified. Okay? Spirit filled. How many believe a deacon could, should be spirit filled? Sound doctrine, wisdom, faith and faithfulness. And then we have character qualifications, sober-minded, not double-tongued, not a wine-bitter, sipping at the wine, not a money-lover, blameless, honest report, proven behavior, not a novice. We could spend a lot of time on the word definitions there. And then this is always a challenge to me, and I know I'm square and legalistic and narrow-minded and bigoted and all those things that get thrown at me over the years. But this has been the standard of my, my family, right or wrong, legalism or whatever. Paul lays it out for the elder and the deacon, the husband, the wife, the children. How many think a wife 
no, uh, you, you can hold that, but let's hold John 13 a minute. There's a very important point I want you to pick up here. Go back to John 13 and then we'll go to Matthew 26. Now, here's the key to this part. In John 13, and I'm looking for the particular verse, verse 27, that's right, verse 27. Now in verse 2, the devil has put the thought into the heart of Judas. But now after Jesus gives, uh, when Simon Peter and John are saying, well, try and find out who it is that's going to betray him. In verse 26, 27, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. So now how can Satan enter into the devil if he's already a devil? So first of all, he's an apostle, has apostolic ministry, he's one of the twelve, and now the devil puts the thought into his heart because he's got a weakness for money, and now after the Lord's Supper, Satan entered into him. Demon possession. And you see, it will help us to understand what Paul meant. If we don't discern the Lord's body, we'll be, we will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And the first man to be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord was Judas, who ate the Lord's table and went out and betrayed him. And that's the message to us all. When we eat the Lord's table, Sunday morning, what do we go out to do? Do we betray him by our life or what? Now, so Satan entered into him. So he actually becomes de a demon-possessed. And I can't go too far on this, but I believe as Satan has been studying the Lord Jesus Christ since his incarnation, these 30 years and this three and a half years, he's not going to trust the crucifixion of Jesus to any angel or any demonic spirit. He's going to handle it himself. And he's going to do it through one that's closest to Jesus. Now in Matthew chapter 27, we have the price of betrayal. So number six there, Matthew 27, the price of betrayal. So Judas has made a covenant. That's the tragic thing. Jesus has established the, the, the new covenant here. He said, this is the new covenant in my body and my blood. But Judas has gone to the chief priest and made a covenant. And so he goes and gets the 30 pieces of silver to betray Christ. That's Matthew 26 and verses 14 to 16. So Matthew 26, verse 14 to 16. All right, number seven, just following an outline here. Number seven is the night of betrayal. And now Jesus, so the night of betrayal, Jesus goes out into Gethsemane and he's praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane with uh, Peter, James and John who fall asleep. And uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 47 to 50, uh, Judas comes into the garden and as Jesus sees him coming, what did Jesus call him? He said, friend. Now, is Jesus calling a devil a friend? Hello, devil, you're my friend tonight. Is he doing that? Friend. He said, if it was an enemy that done this, but it's my familiar friend who ate bread with me. So Judas, Judas is called friend by Jesus. And he said, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And each of the Gospels confirmed this, that Judas, with a multitude, and the chief priests and the elders, arrest Jesus in the garden, and Jesus called him friend, and uh, he said, Do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, Matthew chapter 27, and you can just put down the scripture here, and I want to get to this part here. Matthew 27, and verses 3 through to 10. Now, this is what I understand by this, and I think uh, I have a little... Uh, 
uh, extra sort of another gospel uh, traditional book and that gives a sort of another side on this and I think it's consistent here uh, in Matthew chapter 27 verses 3 through to 10 when uh, Judas who had betrayed him in verse 3 this is when he saw that he was condemned repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders now if Judas is the devil from the beginning will the devil repent the devil never has and never will and he comes back to the priest and he cast down the piece of the silver in the temple and uh, went and hung himself and putting it very bluntly here, he made a bad job of it because however he did it, his bowels gushed out, he fell down, the rope snapped or just made a mess of himself to say the least. And so now in Matthew 27 they quote Zechariah chapter 11, 30 pieces of silver and because it was blood money they couldn't use it for the temple service so they bought the potter's field and the tragedy is that Judas was a broken vessel cast out in the potter's field and uh, the 30 pieces of silver so he hung himself suicide and they bought the field of blood with the blood money now I want you to go over to Acts chapter 1 now we've gone through that very briefly now how many remember the scripture why I'm back to, turning back to Acts chapter 1 that the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil which some have uh, coveted after, have erred from the faith, departed from the faith and uh, drowned many in destruction and perdition. Don't you know that word perdition because G uh, Judas as Antichrist is called the son of perdition. Alright now go back to Acts chapter 1 and then in verse uh, 25 it says uh, when they're praying Lord you know the hearts of all men whom you've chosen and he says that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by predestination fell what's it say in your Bible not by predestination but by transgression by transgression now this is what I want you to pick up as we finish here some uh, eternal words eternity to eternity first word is an eternal word is the word foreknowledge God knows everything God foreknows everything there's nothing that God doesn't know we don't have to tell him a thing but foreknowledge he knows everything beforehand the next word we have in the Bible is the word foresee foresee these are eternal words foresee God, because he foreknows, he foresees everything that's going to happen, good, bad, or indifferent. He knows the whole thing. He sees the whole thing. Next word we have is, an eternal word here is foretell. Foretell. Uh, because God foreknows and foresees everything, he can foretell everything. Then the next word we have here, in fact, I'm going to have to condense a couple of these, we'll pick up this word predestination. What's the word pre mean? Before, okay, what's the word destination mean? Destination. Yeah, predestination. Pre destination is simply your destiny. See, pre is before, but destiny is the end of a thing. You know your destination. I'm, uh, you know, if you're going to a place, you know your destiny. So, predestination. Now, in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and verse 29, Romans 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, moreover whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Now, you'll notice when scripture is used, and why don't you put down 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, which says, elect according to the foreknowledge. Elect according to foreknowledge. Now what you find is this, that the word predestination is never before foreknowledge, it's always foreknowledge then predestination. On the basis of foreknowledge God could predestine. Now let's go to a little bit extreme here. If as the other school of thought says, well God foreknew and he predestined to Judas and because he predestined he prophesied it, uh, then uh, uh, someone had to fulfill the scripture and they, you know, uh, Satan was after Peter, he's after Matthias, but God had picked on Judas. So now let's go way down to eternity here to the great white throne judgment. Here we all standing before the great white throne judgment and God says to Judas, why did you sell Christ out? For 30 pieces of silver, for money you never lived to spend? You know what Judas could do? If, this, if the other school of thought is right, Judas could say, you predestined me, I had no option. I had no free will, you were just playing chess with us all and we were just a bunch of zombies in your hand and you'd prophesied and you picked on me, don't know why you picked on me, but you made me, you predestined me to sell Christ out, I had no option. Now as we say in theology, God will never do anything with creatures that's inconsistent with his character. This, to, to have that school of teaching and follow it to its illogical conclusion is to violate the very attributes of God. God is just, righteous, holy, loving, kind and everything like that. And he's, we say theologically God's essential attributes are governed by his moral attributes. Is there anything impossible for God to do? How many would say yes? How many would say no? The answer is yes and no. For you intelligent looking people, okay? Uh, there's nothing impossible for God. With God all things are possible, but it is impossible for God to lie. Because you see, if God lied, he, that, he, that means his moral attributes would violate his essential attributes. And he can't do it. So there's nothing impossible for God. He's all-powerful and all omnipotent and everything like that, but it's impossible for God to lie. So as I'm saying, God will never do anything with his creatures that's inconsistent with his character. So Judas is not going to be, and nobody's going to be able to sling it up in the face of God. Well, you way back in eternity with your foreknowledge, you predestined me, you picked on me, you predestined us all, some to heaven and some to hell. And having been in churches that follow that, oh, we don't preach the gospel to anybody because they're either predestined to heaven or hell. We're the lucky ones, we're predestined to heaven, those poor guys. And if we offer the gospel to them, well, they may be predestined to hell. Knocks all passion for souls out of your heart, any passion for missions or anything to follow that school of thought. Now, what's the key to the thing? I want you to listen to this statement as we sort of, uh, sort of bring it to a wrap-up. It's my climax here. This is how I put it. I'll read it first and then if you can condense a little bit, great. My proposition is this. God foreknows, God foresees, and God foretells. So what is prophecy? Prophecy is foretelling. Prophecy is foretelling, prophecy is foreknowledge, but prophecy is not predestination. Because God foreknew and he foresaw, he could foretell, and so through the prophets, and by the way, a lot of these are experiences of David, because David had a beloved friend, Ahithophel, who went and betrayed him, and he hung himself on a tree, 
and someone else had to take his place. And so David, under the prophetic spirit, is taking his experience, the experiences where Ahithophel betrayed him and he went and hung himself on a tree and those historical experiences of Ahithophel are now taken and by the spirit applied to Judas. So, here's my proposition. Prophecy is not predestination but foreknowledge. God foreknew, God foresaw, God foretold. I had some other words here. God foreordained, God elected on the basis of foreknowledge. And on the basis of foreknowledge, God could determine the eternal destinies of angels and mankind. Because he foreknew, he could predestine on that basis. But foreknowledge precedes predestination. Now let me throw this little seed thought at you before we finish. In the uh, I don't uh, think we can. Maybe we try and sneak it in. In the patterns of God way back in eternity you'll find that uh, we have this pattern of 3, 12, and 70. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, 12 archangels. 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.